Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Pirates Talk. And thank you for your company throughout this season. I've received many positive comments via social media from fans who have enjoyed our conversations with our Pirates Talk guests, and I've met many fans at Seton Hall Games who have expressed how much they like the show. So thank you for listening, and let me know what you'd like to hear moving forward. This is the first season, and I want to make it as good as it can be and as enjoyable as possible for all Pirate fans. Well, the team did what I thought it would since the last episode— Ending their mini-slide, the Hall came up with a thrilling, buzzer-beating win against Butler at home and followed that up with a wire-to-wire victory over St. John's at Prudential Center. One of the things I found most interesting about the Butler win was that after the game, when discussing the play where Sandro Mamukalashvili hit that buzzer-beating shot, Coach Kevin Willard said he installed that play about a month prior after seeing Sacramento run it during a late-night NBA game. So Kevin obviously is willing to borrow from many sources and is not afraid of adding a play even late in the season. So the crisis is over, but a gauntlet is on the horizon. The Hall is off until Saturday when they travel to Milwaukee to take on a slumping Marquette, which has lost three in a row. But it is senior night, and Marcus Howard, you know, is going to want to go out at home with a bang. It won't be easy, and then come the season enders against Villanova on Seton Hall's senior night, followed by the last game of the regular season against Creighton in Omaha. The regular season conference championship will be decided by those games with Seton Hall currently one up in the loss column on both Nova and Creighton. Time now to welcome my guest. His voice is familiar to all Seton Hall fans, the radio play-by-play man of Pirates basketball, Gary Cohen who joins us from Port St. Lucie, Florida, the morning after the St. John's win. Good morning, Gary. Thanks very much for spending some time with me. I appreciate it. It's great to talk to you, Matt. Thank you. Well, we will touch upon baseball. We have to, of course. You're in Florida, and you'll be back behind the mic for Seton Hall soon enough. But this is going to be a pirate talk. But before we get there, I've got to ask you, tell me about the Spartanburg Spinners. (laughs) Well, the Spartanburg Spinners were the first minor league team that I ever got to do professional baseball for. That would have been in 1983 and 84. Um, That was my first sports job out of college. I had done some some news um, broadcasting in New Hampshire, but I got this sports job in South Carolina for this great radio station that did 24 hours a day sports. We did all the high school football and the basketball, but we also got to do some minor league games. It wasn't a full schedule, but my friend Gary Sparber and I did about oh, 25 or 30 games a year. And I got to see Mike Maddox pitch. I got to see Lance McCullers senior pitch. I got to see um, Cecil Fielder playing first base for the Florence Blue Jays. So it was, you know, it was a kind of cool thing. And it was my my indoctrination into into minor league baseball. Any story or stories that stand out? Yeah, the the days at Duncan Park in in Spartanburg when it was 107 degrees and the, and the wind didn't move. Yeah, it was it was, you know, there's a reason. I, I say this all the time. I, I didn't spend a lot of years in the minor leagues. I spent uh, you know maybe four or five if you count those years. Um, there's a reason why they call it the minor leagues, <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's a reason why everybody wants to get to the major leagues. So, exactly. Yeah. I heard somebody once, uh, and I did a paper back in, in my days at Seton Hall about the strata of the minor leagues, and I forget who I 
saw this quote from, but I used it in my paper. And the quote was, the only thing good about playing in the minor leagues is that it's the road to the major leagues. And, and exactly very, right. very similar to what you said. All right. So you made a quick rise, obviously, from that point. You started with the Mets in 1989, then on to uh, SNY beginning in 2006. And then in between there, you're doing college basketball. How did the relationship with Seton Hall start? Well, you know, I, I had done um, a year for, pro- well, going all the way back. I, I, college basketball is something I've always loved. I mean, I did games as an undergrad at Columbia. Um, I did some games when I worked in South Carolina, but then um, really got into it when I moved to Virginia. I did, um, I did Old Dominion uh, for a couple of years. And then when I moved up to uh, New England, when I took the Pawtucket job, um, I, I did Providence College, um, both their hockey and their basketball. So I did a year of Providence. Then I got the Mets job, and um, I was away from college basketball for a few years, just doing a few games here and there for host communications when they had the NCAA tournament. Um, but then I had the opportunity to um, to do games for St. John's, which started in 95, 96, Brian Mahoney's last year as, as coach there. So I got to work with him and then with Fran Fraschilla and Mike Jarvis. Um, Eddie Coleman was my color man for the last four years doing St. John's, but then St. John's switched radio stations and the new radio station wanted people who were not associated with WFAN. So uh, we got booted aside and Keith Myers, who was the associate athletic director at Seton Hall, who was a big Mets fan, uh, reached out to me and, um, with Pete Doherty over at WABC, we were able to get it together, um, to, uh, to start doing the, the, the hall games in 0304. And um, it has been a fantastic partnership. I mean, the people at Seton Hall are just the greatest people in the world, you know, starting with Keith and Jeff Fogelson, who were in the administration when I began there, and, and Louis Orr, who was the coach, and uh, you know, Jimmy O'Donnell, who's been there the entire 17 years that, that Dave Popkin and I have been working together. They just treated me as well as anybody could possibly be treated it's just been uh, it's been a joy from from minute one it is a good caring group of people at seton all always has been going back to my time as an undergrad what do you like about college basketball i know baseball pays the bill so to speak and i know you have a deep and abiding love for that game but what is it about college basketball well it's everything it's it's the the action of the game it's the length of the game it's the ability to sit six inches away from the action um and and now even more so since i've moved to television in my in my day job um it it allows me to continue to do radio which is my first love so um i just love the unpredictability of it i I love the, the kids and how hard they play i mean it's the perfect niche right that you're playing two hour games twice a week so that even in the worst of years everybody plays hard every game and that to me that's the greatest thing about it you don't you don't see the 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 lags that you get say in the nba because there are so many games in, in such a compressed period of time um you don't have to have um you know, the, uh, the the players sitting out because they're, they, they need to watch load management. It's just the right amount of games. They last just a long enough time. And, of course, then you get the, the, the one and dones at the end, which are just so exciting. So everything about it um, is is fun for me. Um, you know, you can... You can talk all you want about the the underbelly of it and, and a lot of what goes into 
you know, creating the, um, the, the scenarios of, of who plays for home, but the, to, to a fan. And I, I really count myself a fan of college basketball. None of that matters. All that matters is the fact that the game itself is so beautiful. This year has a chance to be, it's already a special year for Seton Hall. They've all but guaranteed themselves their fifth straight NCAA tournament. So that's a first in school history. They won their 20th game against St. John's 20th of the season. And that's five straight years. That's never happened before by any coach in New Jersey. Jerry Carino pointed that out. So no PJ Carlissimo, no Pete Carrill, no Tom Young, the great coaches who have, uh, been part of the Garden State fabric, and Kevin Willard's been able to do that. So it is a special year with uh, some real highlights, hopefully still to come. But what are some of the highlights when you reflect back on your time with Seton Hall? What stands out? Oh, boy. I mean, there have been so many over the years. um, But to me, it's just the way that Kevin has built this program over the last 10 years. Um, You know, Bobby Gonzalez brought in some really good players, but when he left, um, the program was in a bit of a shambles because you had some guys in the program who probably shouldn't have been there and um, who were not necessarily focused on the right things. And it took a while. I mean, Kevin had a lot of setbacks early on. I mean, if you if you remember, he took over the job and three weeks later, Herb Pope died in a stairwell and had to be revived. And that's kind of that kind of set the tone for the first few years of Kevin's tenure. Um, they had a lot of key injuries. They they had um, underperformance. They had to, you know, uh, work through the, the, the guys who had been there before so that Kevin could, could get players who were more in, in tune with his thinking about responsibility and, and, um, and team play. Um, but obviously it all turned when, when Isaiah Whitehead came in and, and that class and, um, from, from that point on and, um, with the highlight being the, the big East championship game in, in 2016, everything's gone in the right direction. And, and now more than just patching things together and hoping for success, this, this school has a program. They have a, a, a program that, that, will perpetuate um, because good players want to play with good players. Good players want to play with good coaches who care about them. Um, It's been remarkable to watch over the last 10 years. Kevin has just been, he's been phenomenal. Uh, Isaiah Whitehead will be to this era of Seton Hall basketball. What Mark Bryant was back in the day under PJ Carlissimo, a local star who stayed local and then began the process of, in that case, putting Seton Hall on the map in Isaiah's case, putting Seton Hall back on the map. Uh, very important players coming over to Seton Hall at different times, of course. What, what, what's your relationship with Kevin like? Tell us, you know, who he is. We see him on the sideline, very intense, but we know there's another side to the man. He, um, he and I have, have really developed a, a really nice um, flow. He, um, I trust him. He trusts me. He's got um, a tremendous sense of humor, which I think you see um, a lot. And I, I really enjoy our byplay, both on the air and off the air, because um, he gets it. He, he really does. Uh, it's, I've worked with a lot of coaches over the years, and I've had you know better relationships with some and, and more distant maybe with, with some others. But um, nobody has been as accommodating as Kevin, just in terms of um, being relaxed, when he needs to be relaxed, being intense when he needs to be intense. And I think he's really grown as a coach. Um, 
also. Um, he's he's really learned to push all the right buttons. I think we saw a great example of that just a couple of weeks ago after they lost at Providence, and he he called his team out a little bit, and um, you can see the results in the way they've played in a couple of games since they. Um, they respond to him. They, and Miles Powell talks about him as a second father. So um, he, he's grown tremendously as a, as a coach. And, and you know, he's, he's kind of grown up in this job. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. He's always been a defensive coach. And this is a very good defensive team. But I like his development as an offensive coach. I think his game planning uh, is much better. It's improved. Listen, it happens over time. You get better at your job. If you're any good at it, you want to improve. I like the changes he makes coming out of timeouts. He switches up defenses. I think he's become a very good tactician. Well, I think he also has better players. <laughs> that helps. Also, that helps. Which also helps. I mean, I mean, to run a pick and roll with, with Angel Delgado was one thing. To run a pick and roll with Rogill is another um, to have Miles Powell to bail you out in big situations is is a spectacular thing, and um, I, I agree with you that the defense comes first, though, because this this team, when they play defense the way that they're supposed to, and they did that the other day against St. John's, um, they, they're they're fun to watch, and they I mean they've got great individual defensive players. Obviously, Gill is a is a is a sweeper. Um, inside, but but McKnight and Reynolds on the ball and Miles Kale playing the midsize guys, they've got some terrific individual defensive players and it all, you know, it all meshes well. And and when this team is is playing the way they 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 can, um, they are they're a team that can compete with just about anybody. And especially in this year in college basketball where there's there's no dominant team. Well, we saw over the weekend, three of the top four teams wind up losing. So yeah, it's a crazy year for college basketball. Uh, what, what does the next three games, what, what does that mean? That stretch, this gauntlet that they're about to enter beginning with Saturday and Marquette. Well, it, it gives them an opportunity to solidify a top three or even top two seed in the tournament. If they can win say two out of three, but it, it's a tough row. I mean, First of all, Marquette is a place where Seton Hall traditionally has not played well. They took a rough loss at Pfizer Forum last year. So, and of course, you're dealing with Marcus Howard, who it's going to be his senior night, and you know he relishes his his uh, chances to go head to head with Miles Powell, who probably gets a little more attention than Marcus does. Um, so there's that, and then you've got Villanova coming in on senior night, and. After um, the Pirates finally won at Villanova, you know that the Wildcats, who are playing really well right now, are going to want to get some revenge. And of course, that's the Pirates' senior night, and you know that's going to be pretty emotional. Last home game for Powell and Gill and McKnight, and then you finish the season at Creighton, which is probably playing better than anybody else in the league right now. And um, you know the Pirates got got thrashed by uh, by the Blue Jays at home, so. Um, it's, it's a great opportunity, but, um, it's also, uh, it's going to be hard. Um, this league is unbelievable. I mean, we saw it the other day with DePaul knocking off Georgetown. Anybody can beat anybody. Um, but the top of the league is playing really, really well right now. And, you know, in, in Seton Hall, Villanova and Creighton, you're talking about the three best teams in the league. And, um, it's, it's certainly a gauntlet, but if the Pirates are going to win their first regular season Big East championship in 27 years, they're going to certainly earn it down the stretch. No doubt. After the game yesterday, Kevin mentioned it, and then Miles mentioned it following the St. John's game as well. 
that he's been battling a little tendonitis in his knee. We, we've seen his sharpness decline over the last 10 games or so, and he's allowed, but nonetheless, it's been noticeable. It, what's the level of concern there uh, with Miles Powell's knee? Do you know? Yeah, I don't think it's really high. And I think that the fact that they have six days between games certainly comes at a propitious time. Um, to me, I'm, I'm more concerned about the, the the shape of his shot right now. It just doesn't look the same as it did before the concussion and the proofs in the pudding. He's shooting like 25% from three in the Big East season. Um, it's amazing he's been able to be as productive as he's been and as efficient as he's been. And, and I think he's learned a lot about playing within the flow of the game. Um, you know, he forced up a couple in the game against St. John's, but for the most part, he was willing to, to, to share the basketball, to give up shots that weren't great ones. Um, but I think it's, I think that's the greater concern going forward, especially as you get into the bigger and bigger games, they need for Powell to be able to be the guy who's going to make, um, you know, four or five threes in a game and make the tough one in the big spot. And that's not there right now. So I, I, that's something certainly to keep an eye on going forward. As for Quincy McKnight, um, you know, he's been battling some knee tendonitis as well. But um, <laughs> we, we've seen him knocked down, dragged out, and and be able to c- come back. He is just one incredibly tough kid. Yeah, there was a moment toward the end of yesterday's game where he went, uh-oh, well, you know, he's a little wonky there, but he came right back in. So, yeah, he is tough as nails, no question. Kevin also mentioned something in his post-game conversation uh, with Dave Popkin and John Fanta as you were down in Florida with the Mets. And he talked about that concussion and said, you know, Miles is just, I guess we forget about it. He said it in such a way that really made me think about it. You think, okay, concussion, then you recover and everything's okay. But he indicated, you know, it's a process to your point about the shot. You know, so much has to go right between the brain and the body and it's just maybe taken a while. Uh, So yeah, he can play, but the body's still relearning that smooth jumper. Yeah. And, and shooters sometimes lose it for a while, but yep. if they're, if they're, you know, if they're the miles Powell quality of shooters, they get it back. Kadeen Carrington had this a few years ago and you know, um, Kevin happens to be a pretty good shot doctor and he was able to get Kadeen's shot back um, at a, at a big time of the year. So perhaps they'll be able to do the same with miles. It's nice thing again about miles though, that, even if he's not making his threes, he can score so many different ways. Yeah, he winds up uh, high on the score sheet uh, off times. Kevin Willer conducts his news conference initially with you. You and Dave, uh, you speak with him virtually immediately after the game, and then he'll speak with the rest of the media afterward. And there is a difference, not so much in what he says, but how he says it. The emotion is so raw immediately after the game when he sits down with you two what, eight, 10 minutes, maybe less after a game, high, low, doesn't matter. What do you like about that moment where you get a coach who's put so much into game planning, so much into his work on the sideline, and it's either rewarded or not, and there he is exposed to answer your questions? Well, one thing I have to say, he's he's great at it. Awesome. He, he, you know, I, I've, I've dealt with coaches in that scenario where they're just too overwrought with what just happened to really be analytical about it. Um, and there have been, you know, a couple of times over the course of 10 years where after a rough loss, Kevin's been, a, you know, he's been a little short or, you know, naturally unhappy about what's happened and really doesn't want to get into it deeply. But for the most part, 
he is incredibly able to ratchet down the emotion, quickly analyze what um, what just happened, and also bring some levity to it, uh, which you know I, I try and do later in in the interview the the hardest thing always is to get it started especially after a loss to figure out where to go first and let him say what he needs to say so we can get in deeper but um for the most part he makes it incredibly easy and 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 a lot of those interviews especially after wins we have a lot of fun with no doubt and his answers as i said are the same to the media that's gathered wherever that interview is conducted post game, but he's had a little bit more time to think about it and things to sink in and the emotion rolls away just a little bit. And so it's the yeah, same I, answer, but in a different way. And so the emotion it's your, your interview with him is, and Dave's interview with him must listen because it's, I think, it's fresh. I, I think he actually tries out his lines on us <laughs> to see what's going to work in front of the greater media. So we're kind of like the warm-up act. Uh, I wouldn't use that term, but that's fair enough. I get it. He's working his act off Broadway before he takes it to the big stage, so to speak. Uh, last couple, and we'll let you go. Uh, what what do you assess? How do you assess this team's chances for going deep, uh, not only in the Big East tournament, but beyond that? Can they get to the second weekend? What do you like about their chances? Well, let's start with expectations, right? I, I, I remember having this conversation with Zach Baziller of the Post um, back in September when we were just getting ready for, for you know, the, the preseason to begin. And he said to me, what, you know, what would be um, – your expectations this year and what do you think would be, you know, beyond expectations. And I said, I think sweet 16 is what you expect from this team going into the season. And I, and I feel the same way now. I think that after, you know, these four straight years of getting into the tournament, but not getting past the first weekend, I think the expectation this year is that this program is ready to go to that next level and get to the second weekend. And honestly, I still feel exactly the same way. Anything beyond the Sweet 16, it's going to depend on matchups. And, and you know, these things can be something of a crapshoot. But I do think that because of the fact that there are no super teams in college basketball this year, there is no reason why Seton Hall can't aspire to get to the Final Four. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to get to the Final Four, but I think that is a legitimate aspiration. Um, because this team has got so much going for it between their defensive intensity, having the two shot blockers, having the great player in Powell, having the, the great individual defenders, having a lot more weapons to go to. I mean, think about what Miles Kell has done the last couple of games, stepping forward and all of a sudden becoming part of the mix again. If he can take on that role like he did very early in the season as a compliment to, to Jared Roden, boy, I mean, this team has so many weapons they can throw at you. So, yeah, I think I, I think the second weekend is kind of the expectation, um, you know, and it would be, I think, disappointing this year if they didn't get there. But the sky's the limit, and there is no reason to think that this team can't win until there's no more winning to be done. And regardless of what happens, Seton Hall fans should just enjoy the ride because it's a magical year. Hopefully they get at least to that second weekend matching those expectations and everything else will be gravy. It's been fun to watch Miles Powell. What a brilliant player. But the way this team has come together, the growth of Romero Gill, Jared Roden, et cetera. Hey, enjoy the rest of the ride, right? Because that's what it's about. Entertainment and fun and supporting your team. So 
Well, well, next Wednesday, I would hope that the fans would understand just how important Miles Powell has been to this program. I mean, this is a kid who was expected to be a good player, but nobody expected him to be a Mount Rushmore player for this program. And that's exactly what he has been, not only on the court, but just the greatest kid in every respect. And um, I can't say enough good things about him. And um, I hope that everybody gives him the love that that he deserves because you're not going to see the likes of Miles Powell again very soon. So well-rounded on and off the court, just a brilliant representative for Seton Hall and, of course, his family as well. So we started with how everything began on the baseball side down in Spartanburg for you. So let's end it with what you think lies ahead for the New York Mets this year. Well, I think there's a lot of reason to be very encouraged. Um, They finished the season so well last year. They've got a really good young core of position players who really feed off each other well, starting with Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil and J.D. Davis and Ahmed Rosario, Michael Conforto. They've, They've got a terrific core that is at the right age to really take off. Um, their starting pitching has, is always good. They've got the greatest pitcher in the game in Jacob deGrom, and hopefully this is the year Noah Syndergaard takes that next step forward. Um, there's no reason to think he can't. Um, the question, of course, will be the bullpen going into the season, but I, I'm really encouraged by what I've seen so far from Edwin Diaz and Jerry's familiar. And if those guys can pitch up to the level they're supposed to, They've got enough arms in that bullpen to be really good. Their defense will be questionable. It's not really the focus of their team. But, um, you know, in a division that's really stacked, um, two of their competitors lost enormous pieces with Anthony Rendon gone from Washington and Josh Donaldson from Atlanta. And both of those guys crushed the Mets last year. Um, It's going to be an interesting year because you still have four really good teams in that division. But, if the Mets can play even close to the way they did the second half last year, it's going to be a fun summer. Well, we hope it is a fun summer. It's been a fun winter as we approach spring. Hopefully that continues on the Seton Hall side. Gary, you'll get ready shortly to join your uh, mates in the SNY booth. You've already done so on the preseason side, but for a long run in the regular season, Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling, we look forward to hearing you with Dave Popkin, more Seton Hall games coming up and, Let's see what happens, but thank you very much for giving us some of your time. Matt, it was great. Thanks so much for having me. And that will do it for this week's show. Thanks so much to Gary Cohen for sharing his time, and thank you so much for your company. Until next time, bye-bye, and go Pirates!